You're listening to the Ghost Hunter Advice Podcast. Advice from the pros, stories from the haunted. Thank you for tuning in to the Ghost Hunter Advice Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner Rutledge. Guys, this is the first time in the studio, actual studio, recording with some uh, some heavily upgraded equipment. So new microphones, soundboards, mixing boards. We're able to actually do some call-in segments, which will be coming down the road to, uh, to tie into the listener episodes and just some really, really exciting stuff that's going on for the podcast right now. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much for the ongoing support for the show. We're going to uh, to a couple of new formats moving forward. We're going to be doing the listener question episodes. We're going to be doing the deep dives that we have been doing. And then we're also going to have special guest episodes where we have an expert in some area. Well, I don't want to say expert because there's there's no experts in the paranormal world. We're all learning and we're all trying to figure out what uh, what this is. But people that have a lot of experiences and that know pieces of tech or or, or investigative tactics inside and out and uh, and have a lot to share with us and just a lot of a lot of overall knowledge. So, let's go ahead and get into today's show. I want to start this episode with a listener question. This is one that came in through the uh, through the Facebook group and is from Mark I've been trying to join a paranormal investigation group for a while, but no one, uh, no one will accept me with having no experience in the field. How can I go about being able to join one? So this is super common. Um, a lot of the groups uh, don't take on individuals who don't have at least some sort of experience, and it, it depends on where you're at. Uh, it doesn't really have to be a lot. But, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that is something that I ran into starting out. Now, I was also super young when I started ghost hunting. I was in high school. I got my first EMF meter and my car in this, and my first car in the same year. So I started super young, and I had a, I had a lot of problems with that, um, especially since, like, back in 2000. So this would have been between 1999 and 2001. Um, I think it might have been 2000 going into 2001 that I started ghost hunting and there weren't a whole lot of groups to join. My my only option really was to start my own. So I started my first paranormal research team, which I believe was called Cleveland Occult Research Group or the Cle- I know the Cleveland Occult Research Society. And um, I put up a MySpace page. This is how long ago it was. It was a MySpace page. And uh, I got... Uh, some people that were interested and wanted to join. The first one was uh, was a, turned out to be a very good friend of mine, uh, John, and uh, we're still in contact today, on and off. But um, yeah, I ended up starting my own team, did uh, did the team thing for a while, and got my my first experience that way. So if you don't have experience and you have you're having trouble locating a team that's going to work with you. What I would recommend doing is going ahead and getting a little bit of equipment, and you don't have to have a lot, really, to go out and to get started doing um, doing some of this stuff. Get a just a regular recording device. I know a lot of people use their phone. I'm not a big fan of that. Get just some kind of little electronic recorder or digital voice recorder and um, start doing some EVP experiments. Every town has uh, places that have legends that are, that are publicly accessible, and start going that way. That's what I did. My, uh, my first couple of investigations uh, were the, 
the school that uh, that I was at freshman year um, had some crazy experiences, and it was open after hours, and the principal, well, the uh, might have been the vice principal or one of the teachers, uh, would uh, they, they were cool with us going into the school. So I went into the school and uh, walked around, uh, did investigations. We did EVP sessions. We looked for for different things because there were so many legends around the school and that was my first investigation other than that uh fletcher park was a, a local park that had a ton of experiences workers would walk off the sites because of things they were seeing and um people would just get freaked out and see things in that park and we had so many experiences there in, a, in an outdoor public area both in the day and in the night. Now, we got super lucky, and there were several local law enforcement officers that were into ghost hunting. Technically, the law, uh, excuse me, the park closed at dark, uh, but if there was a police officer there, oftentimes they'd let us stay a little bit past, or sometimes a lot past, if, uh, if they were super interested in what we were doing. And we got a lot in that park and uh, a lot of my experience and a lot of my uh, my knowledge of um, how to run experiments and to how to how to properly um, conduct EVP sessions and tag everything and provide professional sounding professional looking evidence uh, that I would eventually go on to uh, to do in residences and doing clients a lot of those procedures came from my experience there at Fletcher and uh, and the stuff that we did at the school and once we had that and we were able to put some stuff online and we were able to, to talk about it and, and show some things to people, we got more, uh, more calls because people knew that there was, there was someone there doing that. So that's, um, that's my advice. If you, if you run into the experience thing, start a team, get a group of friends together and a little bit of equipment and go out and start getting some experience. Now, don't run out blind. You need to, you need to read up on things. I, um... I used uh, Troy Taylor's Ghost Hunters Guidebook. Uh, I used the third edition. I think the fourth slash final edition is out now. It's uh, Actually, it's out of print, but it's been out for a while. Um, I'd recommend tracking down a copy of that book. That's going to show you how to... Um, how to put together a case log, how to uh, how to do the things that you're you're probably looking to learn from a team, and you can get it from that uh, from that book. And just just follow that. And once you're comfortable doing everything in there, then you 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 kind of where you can start finding your own style and the way that you like doing things. So, but but that covers everything from historical research that you would learn with a team to uh, tagging and evidence preparation and storage that uh, that you would learn from a team, uh, evidence review that you would learn from a team. There there are books and there are resources out there for you to learn that and do it on your own. Basically, I think a lot of teams, there's, there's two reasons they do this. One, it sets a, a higher bar to entry so they don't have to worry so much about background checks. There's a lot of liability in going into people's home and conducting, excuse me, going into people's homes and conducting paranormal investigations. Um, there's the the possibility that uh, that there could be theft. There's the possibility of uh, an explosive situation. So whenever whenever someone's being brought into a paranormal team and they're not personally known by anyone in the team, there's a lot of liability and there's a duty to do some kind of background check. And those can be super expensive. So a lot of teams will shy away from from people that they don't know. Now another thing that you can do is you can go to public ghost hunts and a lot of those public ghost hunts are going to have training on various pieces of equipment and you're going to have the opportunity to see and possibly use different types of equipment and different pieces of equipment that you wouldn't normally have access to and 
that's also a phenomenal way to learn. I have, uh, I've actually met several investigators, several ghost hunters and teams that I've ended up working with, referring cases to, and uh, one that I actually ended up joining uh, and becoming their, uh, they were a larger group and I became their, their Tennessee uh, representative and my guys would go out and do the, do the investigations on behalf of that, uh, that particular large paranormal society. What happens at these events is you're able to network. So you're, and I've covered networking before on here with people outside of ghost hunting, but networking inside, it's going to give you the opportunity to, to go out and to not only get experience, but to talk to team leaders, to talk to other ghost hunters and possibly get an introduction to a ghost hunting team so that there's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of trust. They see how you work. They see how serious you are and it helps break the ice. So they, they feel a little bit more comfortable with using you in those situations. So my advice there, start your own team. And it doesn't have to be super formal, but start going out to some local locally known haunts that you can legally get access to. Do some investigations. Collect some evidence. Learn how to store it properly. Read books on the paranormal and paranormal investigation to get a good base level of, uh, of experience. Go to public haunts. Go to uh, go to the paid haunts and the big uh, paranormal events and conferences and meet people. Once you meet them and once they trust you, they're going to be a lot more willing to work with you. If um, after doing stuff yourself, you you still want to join another team. So yeah, that was a that was a really really good question, and it's it's one that I get a lot. So super happy to uh, to be able to answer that. And we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to get into the uh, the episode. And what we're talking about today is uh, setting your expectations as a ghost hunter. I've had several people that have written in um, or, or messaged me about ghost hunting and stating, you know, it's a hobby right now, but I want to make it a profession. And on this episode, we're going to talk about what that looks like. Thanks for tuning in to Ghost Hunter Advice, guys. So we are going to be working on something where we're doing a lot more listener call-ins and uh, a lot more engagement. So if you guys have a story, if you have an encounter, if you have a question that you would like discussed on the podcast, email us at ghosthunteradvice at gmail.com. And guys, don't forget to go to Facebook and join the group. There's a lot of great discussion going on in there. There's a lot of questions being answered, and it's just a great community. So search out. Ghost Hunter Advice Group on Facebook. And remember, if you're listening to the podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. That is the quickest way to help us grow. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show and for just being such fantastic listeners. Let's uh, let's get back into it. All right, guys. Welcome back to the show. On uh, this segment, we're going to talk about uh, expectations when talking about ghost hunting as uh, as a career option and uh, and what that looks like and what the options are for you. So I get a lot of questions that either mention eventually wanting to be a quote-unquote professional ghost hunter and to, uh, to get into it as more than a hobby. As, uh, as a definition, ghost hunting will most likely always be a hobby. It's something that does not pay. Most of us, and a couple of us probably, uh, have uh, have ran across teams that charge uh, individuals for residential and business investigations. Now, for the most part, 
this is frowned on and the the teams if you're if you follow reality shows and you follow um, paranormal television and stuff the the teams on those shows don't even charge people for uh, for going out and and doing those investigations when it comes to making money when it comes to the paranormal as a career ghost hunting isn't actually what generates revenue and what uh, what pays the bills it uh, it comes from some other sources and we're going to talk about that so first off why why do most ghost hunters not charge for investigative services for my day job i'm a licensed private investigator i tr- i pay um for my licensing uh i i have a lot of overhead in running that business and uh you know what I have a lot of overhead in uh, in running ghost investigations and running paranormal investigations. So as a licensed investigator, why am I not charging for it? As a standard in the industry, it is frowned on. It's been uh, it's been viewed as unethical. There have been teams in the past that have been sued for fraud. Uh, a lot of these teams that uh, that charge for it actually go out and they advertise that they're doing cleansings and, and exorcisms and that they're getting rid of things, all uh, all Ghostbuster style. But that's not actually what we do. A lot of those teams have gotten sued. And there's a lot of liability because there's not really a way to defend yourself unless in your waivers you have for entertainment only because the existence of ghosts and paranormal, it's not um, it's not recognized by the court. So how do you make money as a ghost hunter? How do you make money in the in the paranormal? And if you really love doing this and want to do it more... How can you get something back so that uh, at least as a hobby, it's a hobby that pays for itself and it's not something that you're dumping thousands and thousands of dollars into to, uh, to maintain the equipment, to buy new equipment, and to travel to the places to, to get things? Well, for most of us and for most of the people that you see that are quote-unquote professional ghost hunters and professional paranormal investigators actually make their living from entertainment or infotainment so there's a there's a big difference there so entertainment would be shows like ghost hunters or um those those true paranormal shows that go back and they do the reenactments and they they bring in uh, paranormal investigators to uh, to talk on the shows um reality television and entertainment that is there for entertainment value only it does pay it does not pay much. A lot of people think if they go out and get a reality show, they're going to be able to do this full-time, and that just is not true. At least starting out, the shows and the things that I have been offered has been like maybe $1,000 per episode, and if you're lucky enough to get 22 or 23 episodes, that's 23,000 23, taxable dollars, so it's not actually 23000 that's coming in. And that's not a lot of money to be running around. Now, I believe they also, on two of them anyway, they were covering hotel stay and travel and things, so that saved a little bit. But it's just not enough of an income to uh, to quit a day job, which is why, you know, Ghost Hunters, if you watched that TV show, season one, they they, they were still plumbers when they were doing it. I think, uh, I think after a while it goes up and you start getting paid for events and stuff, but... Reality television is one viable way to uh, to make a living. Now, a lot of reality television is scripted. It's uh, it doesn't unfold exactly the way that you see it on television. So you have to go in with the understanding that what you are doing is for entertainment. And even though it's reality TV, it's not really real. Um, 
going to get some pushback for that one, but it's it's like wrestling. Um, another thing other than reality TV is podcasting and falling into the entertainment, which will in this segment, we'll stay with the entertainment podcast. So this is uh, recounting ghost stories, collecting ghost stories, and retelling them. Um, just doing spooky stuff that, that scares and entertains people. Uh, that brings in a, a revenue that you then put back into ghost hunting and going out and getting your own experiences and possibly talking about them on that podcast. There's also sponsorships and internet shows, and this is very similar to podcasting, but this is where we're getting into YouTube. These shows that attract a lot of listeners, they can um, they can attract sponsors where you're getting paid a certain amount per episode. Uh, I have a, a friend of mine who's got a podcast. I think he makes about uh, about $200 an episode off of sponsors very very good at negotiating it doesn't work out that way for a lot of podcasters um, there's also listener support and uh, and things like patreon that brings in uh, brings in revenue and it brings in money that you can then put back into equipment back into ghost hunting to get it to the level that it's a hobby that pays for itself now in the entertainment um, part of, of podcasting and, and internet shows with sponsorships you can make quite a bit of money there with, uh, there's YouTube channels that uh, that report on paranormal stuff that uh, eventually get TV deals, but that um, that make quite a bit per episode just off the downloads and the uh, the payments and kickbacks from sponsorships. It is very, very difficult, and it is a lot of work to get to that level. So you are going to need to hold on to a day job for a while to uh, to get to that, and not a lot of people make it. Um, but that is one way to at least get in some revenue that can pay for equipment and pay for different things. Ghost hunting out of pocket is a is a very expensive hobby. Uh, it's a very expensive way to spend your free time. And when, when we talk about professional ghost hunters on the show, we're not necessarily talking about people that make the bulk of their living from the paranormal. We're talking about people that do this as a little bit more of a more than a hobby. Um, and it's it, it's more of a a way to give back to people, a way to uh, to understand, and they're doing serious research. It's uh, when we say professional on here, it's more about serious research than it is about the amount of money that they're making off of what they're doing. So, yeah, so that gets me to my next thing. It doesn't pay much, even if you get a reality show. Those first couple of years, it's not going to pay much, and you're going to need a day job. So, if you're looking to do this as more than a hobby, and you're looking to actually go out and help people. I'd recommend at least starting out with a day job that pays well and has flexible hours that allows you to go out and, and do the things that you need to, uh, to, to do research. Now, from entertainment, there's infotainment. And this is, uh, this is more of where I fall. So infotainment is going to be things like writing books. So I write books that are ghost stories, and uh, I write some fiction that fall into the uh, the entertainment. But I also do um, books, which the first one's coming out. I say I do books. I'm doing books right now. Uh, the first nonfiction is coming out in 2022. My first work of fiction will be out later this this year. And that is uh, things like the, the Ghost Hunter's Guide book. That's things like Ghost Hunting for uh, the Dummy's Guide to Ghost Hunting. These are, these are books that are entertaining. They have good stories. They're fun to read, but they also teach a lesson, and they, they teach how to ghost hunt, they teach, which is where this podcast falls, where we share some stories, uh, we share some things that are a bit entertaining, and we, uh, we, we deep dive issues. So this is things that uh, people listen to, they're hopefully entertained by. And, uh, and it teaches them things, and it's stuff that people are willing to pay for. 
Um, books fall into this. This is probably the most popular way uh, to make money off of infotainment, writing and publishing books. To publish a and, and market a, a book, you're going to need to be able to invest some money into it if you're not able to find a traditional publisher. Publishing paranormal books. So this is this is something I do, so I'll stay on it for a minute. If you decide to be a writer and you decide to publish books in the paranormal to fund your to fund your team to fund your your ghost hunting or to actually do as a living, it's going to take some time. So you're looking at most authors have a five year maybe a ten year ramp up before they're making a uh, a livable wage from their writing in the paranormal and supernatural genres uh, that are nonfiction. So true paranormal or or paranormal authors, there's a, a couple things that they're called. Um, most of the books that are published by a traditional press are published by a small press, and they are priced way, way out of the market. Um, so in publishing for, for stuff like this, unless you get something that's like Penguin Random House, or you get one of the large publishers that are going to print a lot of copies and, and are able to, uh, to price it appropriately, um, which is $23 for a small uh, local paranormal book is is not priced appropriately. But if they're able to get paperbacks out for between $9 and $15 um, and get ebooks out between um, somewhere between $6.99 and $12, which is going to be the sweet spot for most markets, which is not what this podcast is about, um, go with them. Otherwise, I recommend uh, self-publishing or what we call indie publishing, and that is going to cost you somewhere around four grand. And I'm not talking about using the Vanity Press or anything. I'm talking about hiring a proper editor to go through and then a proper copy editor and proofreader to make sure that you have a professional-looking book to put out and, and hopefully get a good return on. So if you are looking to, to be a professional in the field of paranormal, most of the well-known ghost hunters and professionals have books out and they have several books out. If you're looking at how to structure those, I recommend hitting local bookstores, looking for some of your local authors, um, going online. Um, Hans, uh, Hans Holzner is, uh, is a great example. Troy Taylor is a great example. Pick up a couple of their books to see how they're structured and the work that needs to go into that to actually make a living because those are two individuals that make their living pretty much off the books. Um, there's also writing for, uh, for magazines and uh, and different podcasts so you can you can write and edit content uh, maybe be brought onto the show as a um, uh, as a consultant or an expert to uh, to do different things there's the podcasting again that's that's basically what this show is um, podcasts like this generally go off of uh, listener support or or sponsorships from from different things not a whole lot of money in uh, in podcasting when it comes to um, hobby-based how-tos or uh, infotainment-style podcasts, but uh, it is generally enough to, uh, to keep a couple of things going. Um, lectures is another one, and lectures generally come after writing books. A lot of the circuits, so like you have uh, the... Uh, the Haunted America Conference, you have a couple of different cons and conferences around the country that uh, want to have people come in and guest speak and, and lecture at those events, and they do pay for that, and they do pay for travel. Not all of them do, and when you start out, if you want to start lecturing, you're probably going to do a couple of them for free, but uh, eventually you'll be able to start charging for different things. There's also town fairs, uh, different things around Halloween that, uh, that libraries do. 
but lecturing generally starts with the publication of uh, about one or uh, or a couple of books uh, to get your name out there. And so those are those are some ways to generate revenue. Another thing that's worked out really well for people is uh, opening a paranormal business, um, which is what I am currently working on. It's uh, for uh, ghost tours is uh, is one business model where you. You research the history. Maybe you've done a book, and you launch a tour off of that book. People will pay for that. People enjoy that. Just make sure that you keep the entertainment value up. It is a lot of liability, and it uh, it is a lot to keep track of if you're looking at doing a ghost hunter tour or, or, or any sort of ghost uh, or haunted history tours. Um, they're a lot of fun. And uh, I had a, a fitness company a while back, and we uh, we were planning out a, a haunted uh, haunted workout. So basically, we we were planning a a three k run around the city that had stopping points at um, at different haunted sites and historical sites that were going to be featured in my book. Oh well, we're going to be are going to be featured in my book, um, and have uh, have some history and have uh, have some stories similar to a walking ghost tour. Um, but this one would be an actual full-on 5K with different exercises and, and burpees. You'd be surprised how many how many fitness uh, enthusiasts are, are willing to pay for weird workouts to uh, to get out of the normal. So there's there's different things that you can do in ghost tours. There's different things you can do in haunted events. Public ghost hunts are getting extremely popular, and over the years, I've had numerous people reach out to me and offer me money to uh, to come out with me during my ghost hunts and during my investigations just to see and experience something. So finding a property that you have access to and finding a property that, uh, and we actually talked about this a little bit on the, the previous episode and the listener questions, but if you find a historical property that you can team with the uh, with the property owner, you can run um, public ghost to- uh, hunts and uh, different types of tours in that one haunted location and uh, splitting the money with the property owner to help with uh, with upkeep. You can also make quite a bit of money to put back into your ghost hunting and back into your team. Now, the uh, the evolution, and those are, those are the ways that are the most common to uh, to make money as a ghost hunter and in the paranormal field, but the evolution generally starts as this is a hobby and I'm super interested in it. You start putting more and more money into it. You find a way to monetize it through one of, or you find another way uh, to through one of the ways we talked about, or another way to um, to monetize it that uh, that I haven't that that nobody else has uh, has thought of, and uh, it starts paying for itself, and it becomes a uh, basically just a hobby that pays for itself. And after generally doing it for, for years, uh, you might be able to, to move into it as a, as a career and as something that you do full time. Generally, moving into something like this, whether it is writing or whether it is uh, doing the ghost tours or starting your own business period, there is a, a period of consequence where you're going to have to make lifestyle changes and uh, you're going to have to be okay with that for a season or permanently, depending on wh- what you're doing. I've talked to several authors. I've talked to several writers. I've, I've known people that have gotten into the world of the paranormal full time. And one thing that they all have in common, especially if they left good jobs uh, or, or other careers, was there was a lifestyle change. A lot of them downgraded. They downgraded houses. Uh, they, they downgraded quality of life, how many vacations they took 
and they were comfortable with it and they were happy to do it to be able to do what they love. So if you were looking to get into the world of the paranormal full time and to make this a career, look at what lifestyle changes you're going to be comfortable with and the quality of life that you want. Make sure it lines up and talk to your family about it because especially if you're married and you have kids, you're going to have to let them weigh in on it. That, uh, that's kind of an overview on how to monetize ghost hunting and how to uh, go into quote-unquote professional ghost hunting and, uh, and the paranormal as a career. Guys, thanks for tuning in to the Ghost Hunter Advice Podcast. Send in your listener questions. If you have a question for me, you'd like to have it answered on air, or you're just needing some help, send your emails to ghosthunteradvice at gmail.com. Uh, generally, I try to answer those within uh, within one to three days, and uh, we'll try to get that on the podcast. I get a lot of questions in, and if you are someone who is maybe not a ghost hunter, maybe you're having experiences, or you're a ghost hunter who has had experiences, we want to hear your stories, and we'd love the opportunity to, to have you on the podcast to talk about them, so send those in to ghosthunteradvice at gmail.com, or join the Ghost Hunter Advice Facebook group and let's talk about it in there. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. I will talk to you all next week.